Skeptic Hangout. This is the place where we sit back, relax, and discuss some of humanity's most controversial and intriguing concepts through the lens of skepticism. We have with us Richard Gilliver from The Skeptic Takeout, Laura McGee from Unapologetically Me, and Richard Gill from The Yorkshire Atheist. Today, we will be discussing Islam. So grab your English tea or your iced caramel frappuccino Get comfy and join us as we unpack one of the three great Abrahamic faiths. So, Richards, what have we got going on today? I've I've not got much going on today. That's the answer to that question. <laughs> okay, uh, I have got a... In fact, I'm going to be on a show that Laura has been on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, she's... Uh, which really frustrated me because I was asked on first. But because of my <laughs> schedule, cuter. she beat me onto it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm on next Tuesday, which is the 4th of May, and it's The Perspective with Ethan Michael. Yes. You can catch me on there. And if you've not seen Laura's episode yet, go, go and catch and that it. because it was brilliant. So let's, uh, yeah, that's Watch it. it along with our episode about psychics. Like, do just a little back-to-back. And... Richard is going to now tell you about our fantastic Facebook discussion group. We have a fantastic Facebook (laughs) discussion group, uh, which I've heard uh, from good authority is fantastic. Uh, (laughs) No, it's it's actually lovely to just expand our horizons. Uh, And I I like what, Laura, you said uh, a couple of weeks ago about, like, we have the first hour of the conversation and then it's up to everyone else. Like, I really like that sort of way of thinking about it. And I, I think it really does sort of feel like that when we're, when we're on there because uh, it, it gives us at least our sort of fix in between recording sessions. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just a great way to, to interact with us. Uh, so please join there. Uh, the link to that uh, is on the Linktree link in the... I've said link too many times in that sentence. Uh, in the description, along with the links to all of the other places you can catch uh, this so whether it's on youtube or spotify or apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher um i can't find a way of doing it easily on soundcloud so we're not on soundcloud yet but maybe i'll be bothered to do that at some point in the future who knows that is awesome i i want to just really piggyback on that facebook discussion group because i'm actually in there a lot chatting with people and that really really surprises me how um our discussions last well beyond the first few days after um a post is up like they'll last all week long until the next post is up and then they'll kind of peter off and the other one picks up momentum and goes and so i think it's been fantastic so thank you to everybody who has been interacting with us and keep interacting and encourage others to interact because it has been a lot of fun yeah i really liked it agree okay definitely shout out to the people who interact in there because they are brilliant yeah Yeah, good conversations so today's topic is probably one of the more controversial topics to have on any sort of show because we're gonna be talking about a specific religion islam and so i just want to remind people that when we when we come in and do these shows we're doing it sort of a round table style with absolutely no plan in mind we don't have any notes any outlines it's just here's the topic go and it and it tends to never go in the direction that any of the three of us think it's going to go in um it just kind of takes its own shape So as we're talking about Islam, we don't have any specific thing we want to talk about. Um, We don't know where it's going to lead us. Um, But I will just throw out there that um, anything we talk about, it's just coming off the top of our heads as three regular everyday individuals and the kinds of conversations that we naturally have when we're just sitting on the table. So having said that, um, do either one of you want to start? I wanted to start by just asking you how you became a Muslim. Ah, okay. So let's make this next hour about me. Yes. <laughs> let's, let's rename it Laura. <laughs> no, in... yeah, but I think it's interesting because obviously you've, uh, for people who may not have, have heard bits about like what's gone on in, in your life and stuff, like you've been a Christian, you've been a Muslim, 
um, you're now neither of those things. Um, and it's, yeah, I'm interested in that because I don't really know much about that part of your life and how you sort of came to that uh, decision and in, in, in becoming a Muslim and living that life. Yeah, so I'll try to make it as short and pithy as possible, um, which might not be possible for me. But um, I was a Christian at the time and I was happily a Christian. Wanted to believe in God, wanted to do right by God. But there were just too many little things about Christianity specifically that I had issues with. So from my perspective, um, mainstream Christianity just got it wrong. And I had my own sort of unique belief system. Um, I didn't believe that Jesus was God himself. Um, I didn't believe that the Bible was the inherent word of God, inerrant word of God. Um, I didn't believe in the Trinity. So I had a very unique sense of Christianity where it was kind of like interpret your own Bible. And when I went to um, military training to become a chaplain's assistant, um, which is not a Christian job, it, it, they're, they're there to protect all religions and to, to facilitate religious accommodations for people in the military of any religion. But the majority of people who are chaplains and chaplain assistants are Christian because that's the demographic that's most popular. Yeah. So going into that job was very, very heavily influenced by the fact that I um, had been like a really enthusiastic Christian. And I really wanted to make a difference as a Christian. So I went to training and came home Muslim. Um, what happened was one of the chaplains training there was, was an imam. And he was just a, a kind of like a curiosity to all of us. So um, I asked if we could put together a, um, instead of all of us always attacking him with all these questions 24-7, could we put together like a, a discussion group or roundtable where we sat down and talked with him and asked him all of our questions and kind of got them out of the way, like a one-stop shop where he would sit down and discuss with us, but then he's not getting bombarded left, right, and center. Um, And he agreed to it. And so we all, anyone who was curious, any of the chaplain assistants or chaplains who were curious, um, go into this conference room at at the time that we set aside and ask him questions. And he started by telling his story. He's like, before you ask any questions, let me tell you how I became a Muslim. So um, he was an American from the Dominican Republic, um, raised Catholic. And he came to um, Islam as a teenager and everything he said about Islam and how it contrasted with Christianity answered my, my questions about Christianity. No, the Bible is not the word of God. It's been corrupted. Um, no, Jesus is not um, God himself. He was a prophet of God. Um, there is no Trinity. And what was most important to me is you don't get to heaven or hell through um, grace or faith alone. Like it is not faith in Jesus Christ that gets you to heaven. It is your good works and your intentions. And God knows everybody's intentions. So as long as you're trying hard and as long as you're trying to do good, you're pretty damn guaranteed to get into heaven, right? And Islam is just the way to teach you how to do right to get you there, right? So all those things put together, like it connected all the dots that I thought were missing from Christianity. So that, uh, in as much of a nutshell as I can give it, is my um, super quick conversion story. I imagine not many people go into the American military and leave being Muslims. I don't get the impression that that happens often. It does happen more frequently than you think, though. There's a lot of, yeah, conversions to Islam in the military. And I think the reason is because there's a lot of exposure to it and there's a lot of discussion of it. And um, on the surface, there's also a lot, at least when I first joined and it was like, we're, you're just going into Iraq and Afghanistan. There was also a lot of bigotry towards it. So the, the military had to kind of switch that around and do a lot of education. Here's, you know, um, briefings on these cultures. Here's briefings on their history. Here's Islam and stuff like that. So there was a lot of, um, what I saw as a lot of attempts to kind of soften the, the bigotry that, that popped up in the military. So, and I don't know how that contributed or if it was just exposure to it in general, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not a huge high percentage, but you'd probably be surprised. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So what's your exposure to Islam, Richard? Have you had any kind of exposure exposure to it in any well, way, whether it's been visiting mosques or friends or just learning about it as a, a comparative religion thing? Or Yeah, I, think, I can't remember if I've talked about this before, but I... I grew up in a very monocultural area. They were just white people where I lived. The schools I went to, like my infant school, my junior school, my high school was pretty much 99.9% white people. 
Uh, and I guess it was only really sort of when I went to university that I sort of had experience of people outside of my, yeah, that sort of white British nurse. Um, yeah, so, I mean, as a, as a child, I, I didn't really have any knowledge of it at all, um, apart from the fact that I knew, because in Halifax, where I sort of grew up near, there's a large, uh, large population of people whose uh, family heritages are from like Pakistan and Bangladesh and India and things. Uh, so like quite a big area of people who all come from those sorts of backgrounds uh, predominantly. And so like I knew Muslim, uh, sorry, I knew Islam was like the religion of those people over there. And then I met some Muslims at university and sort of got to know a little bit like that. But it's really since becoming a teacher more that I've had a greater understanding of Islam because predominantly, um, I think in, in the school I teach, it's about 60% or just over 60% of the children come from Muslim households. Uh, and that's sort of my main point of reference with, with all of it, really. Um, apart Aside from sort of in the media stories about sort of bigotry and islamophobia and terrorism and all those sorts of things that sort of culturally we associate with islam that are separate i guess from the sort of religious ideas and claims within islam aren't they are they now that's a question yeah oh so yeah i was like almost waiting for Jolliver to jump in but i'll jump in on that one um here's my answer to any sort of like um all muslims are terrorists or is terrorism like yeah. taught in, in islam or whatever I don't care what religion you are and I don't care what demographic you are or what ideology or what politics you are. There are terrorists and people who go to extremes and people who are um, dogmatic or, or fundamentalist. So um, yeah, Islam's got them. And right now there's a lot of tension between East and West and it's, it's sociopolitical more so than religious, but does religion get wrapped up into it? Like, Oh yeah, it does. Um, so there, there has to be a distinction between, um, terrorism in general, Muslims who happen to be terrorists and terrorists who happen to be Muslim and just understanding that when it, when it really boils down to it, numbers don't add up for, um, for Islam being any more of a, of a terrorist, um, what, what is it like teaching terrorism more than any other religion? Well, it's like um, a, a male mass shooter in a U.S. high school is a terrorist, like he's committing yeah. an act of terror, uh, but it's not branded as such in the media. But the bombing in a hotel in Kabul is a terrorist incident because obviously that guy's a Muslim, whereas that guy who did the mass shooting is white. So obviously he's not a terrorist. You know, that's how it's portrayed. Right. Well, and it's interesting that you draw a distinction between Muslim and white versus Muslim and Christian or, or Muslim yeah. and non-religious. Right? <laughs> I was just about so... to pick up on you because yeah. I can think of at least one case where uh, the shootings in America have been motivated by religion and there have been Christian shooters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and there is something to be said about the current terrorism going on, especially going back to, um, say, 9-11 and any time between 9-11 and now where it's really gotten highlighted. Um, yeah, there's a lot of tension there and there's a lot of sociopolitical stuff going on that you really, 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 really have to study and look into and get into the weeds in order to separate where, where religion starts and ends and, and what role it plays. Because if you have and a body of people... And it's really difficult. <laughs> super complicated, yeah. You're talking about a body of people that's completely like disillusioned and frightened and pissed off and wants a certain way of life and is taught certain things. And then they all happen to be Muslim. Right. And yes, Islam, because it's the, the governing religion, it is used as justification. Right. Um, but you had the same thing with Christianity for thousands of years. Right. Um, I think, and, go on, but, sorry, I, I was just going to say another religions before then, but go on. Uh, I think the thing with Islam is as well, which makes it even more difficult is that, it's not just right. So I'm I'm coming from a place where I'm I'm it's it's not quite as white British as the place you grew up in, but there is still that element of kind of working pitmen, miners, that uh, steel workers, that heritage, where anything values, from, all that lot. And yeah, anything from outside that, and a lot of people still do carry that attitude around with them, yeah. and. 
there there is a lot of uh, intrinsic racism against uh, Muslims and and people, and they don't understand. They're not understood. The kind of Tommy Robinson archetype is, you know, uh, I know a lot of people with that attitude. On the other side of that, I have got a lot of Muslim friends and a lot of good relationships with Muslims, and I've been to a lot of mosques during Ramadan and shared the meals and and things like that. So I've got a very good relationship. The best man at my wedding was a Muslim. So I've got a very good relationship with people who are Muslims. And that is reflected. I've never seen this in any other religion. That extreme is reflected no matter where you look in Islam. It's reflected academically. It's reflected if you look into the history. It's It's one side or another. The the really it is very There's very no middle difficult. ground. Yeah. It's very difficult to find middle ground. And a few weeks ago, I did a program. Uh, one of my shows was about Muhammad, and I I did a lot. I mean, I've I've got a background in research in Islam anyway, so I know quite a bit about it. But I I did a lot of extra research for specific things in that, looking at specific aspects. And I was just astounded at the so little amount of it was either pro Islam. Anti-Islam, pro-Islam, anti-Islam, pro-Muhammad, anti-Muhammad. As opposed to like just a neutral scholarly source. Yeah, I was going to say, like, just to clarify to the listeners, like what you're talking about is there's there's no just historical narrative of, oh, the following things happened from the following people. It's, you know, the the evil Muslims went in and did this or um, no, as Muslims, we are justified. and This is what we did. And like, there's a lot of the 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 he said she said narratives when you yeah. look at and I, I just want to pick up on what Richard said as well. I'm not saying yeah. that the 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 scholars who research this stuff aren't impartial. That's yeah. not what I mean. I mean the source material they've got to draw from historical documents. Impartial. Yeah. It's either one side or the other side. It's either one side or another side. And that's compounded by Muslims themselves. You know, I've I've been to stuff that like meetings with like kind of at the time, it was probably talking about, I was probably about 30, in my 30s, and I was going with similar aged guys, guys between maybe 25, 35, to these meetings and things, where it was very borderline kind of hate speech from an Islamic perspective. And these were nice guys who I were going with to listen to this stuff. And then you get the kind of Islamic apologists who were the complete opposite and want to deny legitimate criticism from history because it casts Islam in a bad light. And that's literally, wherever you look in Islam, that is what you get. You you get Islam or Muhammad is brilliant, it's fantastic, it's a pinnacle, or you get Islam and Muhammad is hateful, it's evil, and it's so hard just to go down the middle and say, uh, to just to say, I want to look at this impartially. I want to draw from impartial sources and I want to paint the best picture I can. So that's where I think people like you and me come in, Jilliver, because we kind of are that middle ground. Like me having yeah, been a Muslim, the only reason I left is because I concluded that I couldn't determine that there was any truth to it in terms of reality. Like I, I no longer could say that I believed that there was a God or that that God cared whether or not I covered my hair. Um, as soon as I believed that there was a God that wanted me to do that, I did that. Like I was in hijab almost immediately to try and do the right thing. Um, and letting go of that was actually a little bit painful. And the only reason I did that was because I could no longer say indeterminately, like absolutely for sure, this is the truth. So I left Islam with like a strong love and respect for it because I saw a side of it that I think most people don't see. And I was taught a lot of the like Islamic like apologetic side. I listened to the podcasts and the lectures and the videos and everything. And so I did have this like sort of rosy eyed kind of view of it. And I didn't allow myself to go research the other sides. Um, And in fact, I was afraid to, I was like, okay, I can look at like Christianity from a skeptical perspective and I can analyze it, but I won't do that with Islam because I was so afraid of like losing that love affair. Uh, And so now I kind of, having had some time pass and a lot of those emotions kind of settled down and looking at it more skeptically, I think I have kind of both sides now and sort of an appreciation for the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
but I think you, you hit the nail on something and that is, and I think it's true in other religions and cultures and spaces as well. The, you can't criticize. And, and I think that's, that's very, I think it's, it's working against Islam right now and against Muslims because they're so afraid to accept criticism or embrace criticism or discuss criticism that it almost becomes like um, contentious before it's even started. Yeah. I, I agree I entirely with that. I think it's interesting that like you started the show today almost with a disclaimer as well, Laura, like uh, obviously I I know you you said in terms of like, because we're specifically this time around talking about a specific religion and stuff, but like we haven't put a disclaimer like that at the beginning of any of our other episodes. Uh, And I'm not criticizing your decision to do that, but you know, like it's interesting that people, you know, that you, you did decide to do that at the beginning of this one. Um, Like I know, uh, someone who was brought up in a very similar situation to how I was describing, you know, with very limited uh, sort of exposure to people of other cultures and faiths mm. and stuff, um, who like even nowadays is like really anxious when speaking to someone who potentially might be from another culture um, or of another religious faith or whatever, just because they're terrified of offending them. You know, like yeah. I think specifically with Islam, there is that, that, notion of oh, I don't want to offend them or I don't want to put my foot in it and say the wrong thing or because and, and I don't know I don't know what it is about Islam that makes people feel that way because I think it is specifically Islam that does I don't think people would have the same anxieties about speaking to someone who they knew was Jewish or who they knew was Hindu or whatever but specifically Islam does seem to give people that sort of anxiety about making sure they're not stepping on toes and not offending and obviously, like there's been stuff in the news about, you know, like the 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 Paris uh, killings, you know, and that uh, magazine published. Yeah, Charlie Hebdo. Hebdo, yeah. When they published the the Muhammad cartoons and stuff, and uh, yeah, I don't know. There's there's that side to is, and I'm not sort of trying to shit on Islam, but like there is that in culture. I think lots of people have negative connotations with islam and, and what that means and people fo- focus on things like oppression of women and al- anti-lgbt rights and things like that which obviously are legitimate questions to ask um but as well like muslims are normal people as well <laughs> like yeah you know. so you bring up a good point because like think of um Okay, let's just take just the the anti-LGBT stuff that is inherent in in Islam, right? And you do have Muslims that are like, no, 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 that's not the real teaching. And no, 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 we're we're pro-LGBT. Do whatever you want to do. Just don't show us, whatever. Um, But no, there is an anti-LGBT element to it. But there's an anti-LGBT element to Christianity as well. And how easy is it for us to be like, hey, you Christians, shut the fuck up. Like we're, it's, it's not okay to feel that way. It's not okay to think that way. You need to treat people with respect. That's a bad teaching. But then when it, a Muslim is saying it, it's like, well, okay, so let's back up. Let's hold on. I respect your cultural beliefs. And I, and it's, it's almost scary to um, criticize and to approach it. And I'm saying this as a, as a former Muslim who never felt any pressure beforehand, never felt any pressure while I was a Muslim, never felt any pressure since. And I still have that fear. And that comes from media and that comes from the news and that comes from those, those Muslims that are out there screaming and yelling and making a big deal out of it. Like it, it's, yeah, it's a legitimate fear. Yeah. What about the, the, the Muslims who are to me and, and I'm obviously accept, I'm accepting the, the people who do go out and commit terrorism in the name of Islam when I say this, but those aside, to me, the biggest problem within within Islam, who are the ones who make it within it, but making excuses for it to the point where it makes it look kind of ridiculous. You know, when I when I was researching my recent show, I came across a news article uh, written by I'm not sure if she was a Muslim or a Muslim friendly person. And but it was such an apologetic thing, and it was literally like it was dismissing accepted hadith authors, uh, scholars who were uh, like 
the core of the transmission of Islam and what we know about Islam and what we know about Muhammad. And it was dismissing those because it cast a bad light on the Aisha issue. Oh, interesting. Because that's a hot button issue. Like we've all pretty much determined you can't. You can't. Yeah, and in the news article, it was literally saying, you know, you, you know, modern day scholarships casting doubt on on this thing, but there was wasn't anything. <laughs> you know, I did a bit of research on it, and the, the, when you, when you get into the nitty gritty, it's so muddy water. Let me tell you, the, the when you're looking into the transmission of the hadith, and you know, the 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 guys who were writing the hadith and transmitting them. They were fighting amongst each other, left, right, and center. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's muddy water anyway. But to kind of to single it out to defend this single issue, you know, why not just accept that that happened and say, you know, that happened. It was wrong, but at the end of the day, we're moving forward. This is a religion we've got now. We accept that that was wrong, and it, it's just this in insurmountable defense that they feel they need to put up and I think maybe that informs a lot of the kind of negativity towards Islam and maybe even amplifies it that people who who don't maybe have not researched it as much as I have or Laura have who just come in upon it and seen that barrier go up that you know that to me if I didn't have the background I have with it if I came across that, I would think th- immediately there's something wrong here. They're putting up those walls because there is something wrong and they know something's wrong. And that would be, yeah. Like it almost feels like a cover-up is what you're, you're saying. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like a painting over. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, essentially, that's what it is. Yeah. And kind of redefining history, right? Like you and I, Deliver, had had this conversation privately when we were talking about Islam in the video that you were doing about Aisha specifically. And yeah. how it was never contested in the past because it was so <laughs> commonplace, like not just in Islamic cultures, no. but in his cultures all over the world. As soon as a girl matured, which could be as young as nine years old, she was ready to marry and start a family and get pregnant. And it didn't become controversial until later when the age of consent starts getting older and older and older. And, um, and interestingly, the, uh, the, if you actually have a look at the criticism of Muhammad, from the time, you will not find anything about that being a criticism. Right. The, cri- the criticism like that detail jumps out at us today. Yeah. Because but of it was- its social taboo. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and she was and celebrated t- in Islamic history. She was yeah, considered yeah. a great woman. Yeah. So and we're at the the criticism that was leveled was all about him not being a, a true prophet from the Jewish point of view. And and things like that. That was that was where the criticism was leveled at Muhammad from 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 the time or just slightly after. Right. But uh, I mean, there's there's some. I mean, even I'm not sure about the uh, how many contemporary sources there were there were from Muhammad's actual life. I think there may be some that were close to it, very close to it. But I've I've, I've not done enough research into that area to 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 speak on that properly but yeah there was there were certainly no criticisms about the age of Aisha from the time or even close to the time so Gil like what are your thoughts like from uh so I know that Jilliver has the historical um perspective and I have the the religious perspective of Aisha but what are, what is your perspective from the outside yeah I mean I guess sort of touching on things that I've I've spoken about. I mean, I my sort of experiences have been really varied. Like I said, in terms of like I have a general sense of like what people think misogynistically or discriminatorily. That's not a word. Like how people discriminate against Muslims and things like that, which I think is completely completely wrong. Um, but. Obviously, it's been a steep learning curve for me, like I say, from sort of, yeah, my childhood to now. Um, and, yeah, like, I think, jumping back to something that Jilliver said earlier on, there seems to be, or I, I get the feeling that there seems to be sort of a very absolute sort of thought behind lots of the ideas, you know, like, you were saying, Jilliver, about, you know, like, when... 
hang on. I'm muddling my words. I just need to get my brain in gear. What was I thinking? Where's your coffee? What, <laughs> what, what did you say before, Jilva, about like, what were you saying? Bloody hell. Were you talking about like the cultural context of Aisha or? No, I wouldn't, it was something you said ages ago. Um, be, I think it was, you were talking about like apologetics and like the defences that people have and stuff. And I think like you might ask someone or what's your percentage of confidence in like the Christian God and they might say 95%. Whereas I feel like by default Muslims always are a hundred percent and there's no other answer and no other right answer. Um, and it, it, I get the impression as well that like lots of Muslims are incredibly strong and passionate and outspoken um, about their religious faith. Whereas you might walk, or you might even know someone really well and not necessarily know that they're a Christian because it doesn't come into conversation or it doesn't become apparent to you. Um, whereas Muslims do tend to be a lot, yeah, bolder and prouder of their religious faith and heritage and stuff. Um, but again, I don't know if I had a cohesive point. But yeah, my experience has been, yeah, much more of an outsider. It's not really a religion that I've had loads to do with. But yeah, just generally those sorts of, negative portrayals in the media and and stuff like that it's hard because the the ideas within the religion in terms of like the ideas in the quran and the things that the quran teaches about god and um the way people tend to you know live their lives as muslims is also added on to lots of cultural stuff as well so like there are people who say oh well wearing head coverings if you're a woman is just a cultural thing. It's not part of the religion because people just misinterpret the Quran and say this or misinterpret that. Or, um, And I think lots of people in the West particularly see Islam as sort of alien and separate from what they know because it's got all, often a lot of cultural baggage with it as well from places far away. Um, and I don't know if that sort of, yeah, rings true for I, I think a, I think a legitimate... Uh... There was something I wanted to say regarding what he'd said, but oh yeah, I'll touch on this and then I'll go back to what I was going to say. The um, regarding, I got the impression then, and I'm not—I don't know whether you you meant it like this—that when you were talking about Muslims like being hundred percent, they was kind of really hard and try really hard and, and push and push and push, but that doesn't come across when you talk to Muslims and you meet Muslims. In in a social context, not from it never has for me anyway. I don't know what Laura thinks, but they they're always really pleasant. They're, oh no no no, so... that's that's certainly yeah no I, I yeah that's not what I was meaning in terms of, not like they just harsh and push it in your face or anything like certainly that that's not what I was meaning. But more as in like I don't know, Muslims seem very sure of the truth of often seem very sure of the truth of their religion and I'm very... sorry sorry um, that's my misinterpretation no that's probably my I've probably just miscommunicated but yeah that's sort of where I was meaning can I interject that. on that one really quick yeah so I both agree and disagree with you on that one so I, I I agree that especially in in the media and those Muslims that are activists um there is a strong push for for those um for like a really sure and strong belief system and um I do think that it's culturally reinforced but I also see it in Christianity and I see it in Hinduism and Buddhism when it's cultural. And I, I think it's a little bit twisty or fuzzy with, with Christianity in say um, the UK or America, because it's sort of cultural, but sort of not right. And we, we do have a lot of exposure to other ideas that, that cultural Muslims and some, some really like insulated cultural Christians, like say African Christians don't get that, that same um, exposure to different beliefs. So in that respect, there is sort of a more um, hard set belief system, but where I think being sort of the accepted default and where it's just not unusual opposed to. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that also um, I kind of liken um, what Muslims, especially in the West are going through. Um, I I kind of, I don't want to miscompare it. So I want to be really careful with my words here, but when you have activism, such as black lives matter or LGBTQ activism, they're getting out there and getting the word out and getting in people's faces because there's, there's like, they need their rights to be acknowledged. And when you talk about how harshly the West has treated Muslims in general, because of the, the, the ties to terrorism, 
Yeah. Muslims really feel like they need to defend their faith that much more ardently and they have to be that much more sure when they're talking to people, just like um, a gay person going into sort of an anti-gay situation um, or having to constantly defend themselves or be activists because, and I'm not comparing the two. I know that civil rights wise, no, Muslims already have their rights. And I, I know that, that, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, just saying, I think that's a really fair comparison. Um, that's all I was saying. I was just, yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. <laughs> yeah. To touch on that, but not, not that particular point, but to, to touch on the point of uh, kind of being culture, culturally muddled and, and things like that, mm-hmm. Islam has got nothing on Buddhism. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because right. that is crazy culturally like defined. Yeah. Uh, but we'll go into that in the Buddhist episode. <laughs> But that is a good segue because it shows you like we tend to, to make things like Christian problem or Muslim problem or Hindu problem. And when you really, really, really start breaking it down, it actually becomes a cultural problem. Like, especially yeah. when you're talking about the covering of the hair, the Quran only tells Muhammad's wives to cover. And the reason it tells Muhammad's wives to cover is to separate them in a crowd from other Muslim women. Right. Because it, it was like, OK, these women are set aside. They're Muhammad's like. They don't touch them, don't talk to them, don't bother them, you know, don't harass them. And so there is a lot of debate and question there. Um, So, yeah, you do start getting a lot of the mix between the cultural and the actual religious. And sometimes it's absolutely impossible to tell which is which or where one starts from the other the other end so, so talking about segues you've done it perfectly there there's, there's so much i want to talk about in this episode and we're not <laughs> going to get to it all this we'll do a muslim obvious. 2.0 or islam 2.0 <laughs> um uh, one of the things i was going to talk about which you've just quite by accident segues into was we have this idea i think a lot of people have this idea that uh islam is informed by the quran and only the Quran. If you if, if you're coming from the West, and uh, it, you know, there's so much extra Quranic literature which informs what Islam is, even to the point where most, I would say, uh, of the Sharia law, which it varies from country to country and 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 different things and that's a completely different issue which we definitely don't have time for but most of what the sharia law is in in general is informed by the hadith and the sunnah and it's not informed by the quran at all and in in some cases in some places it actually contradicts what the quran says uh and 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 again that's another huge problem for islamic apologists and we'll try to twist all sorts of excuses to it like get out of that but it's it the the thing is a lot of the time they come in with you speaking to or if i'm speaking to them they think you're just some kind of they they have this idea a lot of muslims have this idea that all white people are christian Mm. (laughs) and that's culturally taught too that comes from somewhere right like um, people people are taught these different things growing up and they take for granted. And what you were saying with how a lot of um, Muslim teachings come from the Hadith and the Sunnah, that's true. But then there's also a lot of teachings that come from cultural traditions that have yeah. nothing to do with either. So like I met yeah. Muslims from Morocco that have different beliefs about um, spiritual ancestral ghosts in their house and how to handle the ghosts in their house. And they would burn certain things and cook certain foods because either the smells would be pleasing to the ghosts or it would scare away the ghosts depending on what what they wanted and that has nothing to do with any of the the teachings in islam but that that can bring people together as well because i mean when i i'm as as you two know not all listeners may know that i'm actually doing a university course on religion philosophy and ethics and we did a segment about the virgin mary and uh, obviously in islam as well as in christianity she's a really revered figure and you know some of the research we were doing for that and it's where it's in in egypt where uh, there was a, a sighting of the uh, an alleged sighting of a virgin mary on a christian church and both muslims and christians went there to worship and revere the virgin mary it wasn't just a, like a Christian thing. The whole community came together there. It, and, and it is just like, y- y- we have this idea in the West that like, and, and it is, 
and I'm not trying to pretend it isn't, that Coptic Christianity is kind of uh, attacked and looked down upon by Muslims in Egypt and stuff. And, and there is a huge aspect of that, and there are a lot of uh, human rights issues surrounding that. But in everyday kind of living, they are one community who come together and believe a lot of the same things. And a lot of it is cultural, as Laura was saying. Yeah. I think what you were saying in terms of, in fact, what both of you were saying in terms of those other cultural aspects that feed into it, it, a similar parallel possibly might be, you know, like which aspects of pagan cultures in like the west you know have sort of merged into christianity and where is the yeah. boundary between those things yep. obviously we were talking about easter a couple of weeks ago and stuff mm-hmm. um and yeah it's a similar sort of thing and i think there's so much crossover between culture and traditions and religions and how they all feed into everything you know like people in the uk who celebrate traditionally christian holidays even though they've never been a inside a church in their life or whatever mm-hmm. you know it, it's all a big sort of blurry area and I think even people who are within those cultures and religions yeah might not necessarily know the the distinction or where that line is yeah and um going back to to something that was said earlier um oh it was okay so Jaliver was saying that like the Christians and the Muslims believe a lot of the same thing it's interesting, and I don't think a lot of people outside of Islam know about this, or at least in, an, in including um, uh, academics who study it. Um, they revere so much about Christian lore, and they teach so much about it, but they 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 put different spins on each of the people. So Mary, who's Miriam, who's like that's the name for her in in Arabic, Miriam, is really highly revered as one of the great women, and. Um, that is something that I think a lot of people outside of Islam don't understand is the reverence and the respect that they have both for Jesus and for Mary. Um, and, and that story in general, they think the whole story has been like twisted and morphed and bastardized and it's wrong. Right. Um, especially in terms of um, God making Mary pregnant. Right. Like they're like, no God, you know, like the whole, the whole ties to God and sex is very, very touchy in Islam, but um, the respect. It should be more touchy in Christianity should be <laughs> they seem to have no problem with it no problem <laughs> I don't know. yeah but anyway I just wanted to kind of throw that out there I know it may not contribute much to the discussion but just to give that extra understanding that um Islam really does have or or Muslims really do have a lot of respect for um both Christian and, and Jewish teachings and characters and historical figures um that maybe people don't understand or, or that they they don't realize do you think that, uh, Laura, specifically, mm-hmm. although Richard, feel free to wade in, do you think that, uh, have I lost my train of thought or is it coming back? <laughs> <laughs> do you think that... I sometimes uh, think. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> I sometimes think. I think he thinks more than us. We talk I things. Think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, Muslims are more inclined to believe the uh, the own hype if 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 you like for example the i i've never met a muslim i don't think ever ever who's acknowledged the the quran from its earliest forms to its the first fin final finished version we had so that took 200 years to do I don't think I've ever met one. I, I think they all genuinely, genuinely believe that it was kind of transmitted to Muhammad and it was written down within, you know. If, Immediately. Yeah, yeah, if not weeks, yeah. only a couple of years at the most, uh, as and then transmitted on like that. And I don't think, I, I certainly don't see it as prevalent in Christianity, for example, just to get, compare it to one thing where... There is that much, and there's certainly kind of incredulity about, about the kind of authorship and stuff. There are certainly Christians who think Mark, uh, Luke, John, and Matthew were written by Mark, Luke, John, and Matthew. Right, uh, and that's but generous, yeah. There seems to be much more of an understanding in Christianity that things may be more allegorical and that the things are looser and, and 
you know, the history may be not quite as it seems. Whereas in Islam, there seems to be so much more. Yeah, this is definitely the way it happened. This is definite. And they, they just com- seem to be completely ignorant of of the early history of Islam. Do you get that? Did you get that? Or did you have an understanding? Or did you yeah, know so... have an understanding of that? Obviously, different as a convert rather than someone completely raised in the religion as well. Oh, but for me, it'd be more like an exposure to the teaching or the idea. Yeah. So obviously, not being raised culturally Muslim, and there is a difference between a cultural Muslim and a converted Muslim. Um, but um, I I was exposed to those ideas quite heavily, so I can I can speak on them. But um, I would say that was one thing that. Okay, so first of all, I think that the histories are very similar. It was, it was spoken and passed on from people to people, but multiple groups. There were different versions of these religions. And then someone came together with both religions and they decided, okay, nope, here's the actual canon for these two religions and let's burn all the rest and get rid of it. And it becomes heresy, right? Um, it, they're, oh my gosh, it's so similar, the, the histories. And you're right, in, in Islam, it is taught that nope, as soon as he started speaking it, people started writing it down. He was always surrounded by scribes. Um, they're kind of taught, oh, okay, well, we, we gathered up the, the bad Qurans and burned them, but we, we had this like base Quran to base it off of. So we know for a fact that those words were correct. Um, and then in Christianity, you're right. There's kind of like this, well, we have the most transcripts. And so we know that we know that this stuff is true because we just have an, a plethora of transcripts. And I think where, where Christians make the mistake is that they don't realize that sometimes a transcript is like, this little fragment here and that little fragment there and they can be like chemically tested so they know they're the same document but and like the word says god so they they assume it's part of a bible right like what they don't realize is is many of the transcripts that 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 we actually have are fragments and we have very very few complete ones um and they're all later where the the muslims make the mistake is um in not acknowledging that the two narratives or the two histories are virtually identical. They're just as problematic. There's issues with both of them. Instead, they paint this picture of, no, 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 ours, there's a, there's a direct chain, a direct link from Muhammad to a modern-day Quran, and it's unbroken. Yeah. That's, that's the claim. So is, is my understanding it certainly correct? isn't. It's not true, yeah. Is, it my, is my understanding correct as well that sort of in, in when Muhammad started the, the religion, that it was also sort of, built into like a politics of a new society and sort of mm-hmm. that turned into an empire that w- yeah. which like we talk about christianity and it, like it that seems like much more of a from the ground up sort of religion whereas obviously with a an empire behind you eventually i don't know if i mean from a ground up but you know like the people who started christianity were not in a position of authority whereas Muhammad became an authority figure within his life and a political figure and things like that. Am I on the right lines with that? It it became one, but I don't think it had... It didn't start like that, though. No, I I want to be careful about saying it. That's why I'm trying to find my words properly. I mean, from what I understand, and Laura weighed in at any time, he he learned a lot of his diplomatic skills from his first wife, who was older than everyone concentrates on Aisha. But his first wife was older than him, and she was she was a trader. She, you know, and he she, traveled with her. Yeah, so and there's a, a lot. there's a common Muslim like teaching that he didn't have any exposure to any other religion like Judaism or Christianity beforehand, yeah. and that his the revelations he got from God were pure. But they can show like even just within the Quran and within the Hadiths, he was traveling with Khadijah like way before he became a Christian yeah. or I mean a, a Muslim I, way before he started I, receiving prophecies. Uh, I've had this argument with apologists before that they've said there was no way he could have known anything about, uh, I can't remember the, the city they mentioned, but it, it was plain that he'd, been, he'd actually been there. Yeah, and he had he had clear exposure to um, at least Jews and most likely Christians yeah. as well. And um, I, I sort of saw it as like a social, in hindsight, I sort of see it as a social movement where you take like the, the um, tribal religions of the... Um, of Saudi Arabia at the time, um, Mecca, Medina, and all those areas at the time. Yeah. And you have these ideas of Christianity and Judaism that are coming into the area and there's traders and they're, they're having a lot of interactions back and forth. It, it literally looks like what he did 
when you study all the different religions and study how they connect is he took what he knew at that time, his tribal religion, and he took Christianity and Islam and he blended them all together. And so you have lore from um, what people might call pagan or tribal um, ancient Saudi Arabian religions. And then it, it interjects Christianity and, and Judaism into it. He does a really good job of it. Like he, he blends them yeah. very well. And another thing that I, thought, I, don't, I think people may misconstrue uh, because they have this kind of idea of, and again, this definitely happened, but later on, they had they, they, had, they have this idea of, of Islam from the very beginning, just sweeping across the land and in these massive wars. There was in in Muhammad's lifetime, he either ordered or partook in altogether a hundred battles, but most of them were just little skirmishes. Skirmishes and fights. it's not this this kind of idea that we have that is it's just this huge sweeping army going for global domination that wasn't the case and i i'm a little fuzzy on the historical details too but from what i remember and please correct me if i'm wrong but from what i remember um there's no non-islamic data that says that they ever had control of mecca or medina right that was that was an islamic that's that's a that's an idea put forth by islamic scholars and i don't I don't know for sure. It's something that I heard. And so I don't want to say that that's the truth, but I'm curious what sort of extra Islamic resources are out there that refer to like, say something from a a different country that refers to Medina or Mecca as being under control of Muhammad during his lifetime. Cause I'm not sure. I I can't speak on that because I don't know. And I don't want to misspeak on it. So let's Uh, just go over that one then and not even touch it because it's something that I heard somewhere and I can't, for the life of me like yeah i, would, I, don't I was just going to repeat to close that the the uh the the sources the, there are sources close to the time of muhammad but they vary as to whether they're within muhammad's lifetime or from a couple of years after lifetime which are extra islamic sources right. so it's it's difficult to speak up for me uh, you know i'm certainly not uh, an expert in islamic culture or early islam at all so I'd, I don't want to speak on that, and I can't speak on that. But what is, what is um, interesting to me is um, both Islam and Christianity got big jumps in membership or in, in, in um, popularity when a leader, either of a nation or an army, converted. And like once that leader converted, it kind of like goes down through the ranks, and it just boosts the, the membership in that religion. And I found it really interesting that one so of the, the reasons Roman Empire wasn't it in Christianity, like there was yeah. some emperor, some I can't remember which one it was, but there were an emperor who was like, Yeah, Christianity's true, and everyone was like, Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, it's interesting to me that that the, the reason that they're so formidable today is because of a few, like, if you look back in history, there's a few key historical conversions that really made the difference between, Oh, this is a little cult that's going to die out eventually, or might be a small religion to now they're the two greatest world religions yeah, yeah. and and that's certainly true of buddhism as well that they they it was you know the conversion or the support of of kings at the time who, who yeah. really gave it a boost and 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 kind of uh, yeah, monasteries i don't want to go too much into this but obviously we're doing a separate episode you do. but you do monasteries Monasteries, traditional Buddhist monasteries, were uh, there's one called the Deer Park, which was a gift from one of the tribal leaders or kings of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think I think big all big religions kind of have that element to them that they they get passed on when someone powerful or someone with a bit of stature comes in and sponsors them, if you like, and 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 kind of does that. Yeah, and it, and it kind of makes sense when you think of like the education of the day where people didn't necessarily, they didn't have libraries to go study at, they didn't have public schools, they kind of went with whatever the state said. And yeah. I think in some cases quite forcefully, where it's like, you will, you will believe this, <laughs> right? So it's, it, it is interesting to me that, um, that such a small number of people can have such a huge, profound impact on such a large number of people. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, um coming back to to the actual uh 
the Quran itself, how much of an impact that had. I don't know exactly how it was transmitted. I know that within the first couple of hundred years, they, they were they were collected like separate pages, leaves of pages were collected and finally collated. I don't remember who collated them into the first actual thing, but I don't know whether it was uh, it was small groups of people who transmitted it, at, at like who were kind of in charge of certain aspects of it, certain chapters, or whether it was uh, more discordant than that, and it was just kind of here and there. I, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I used to I used to know the story of how it first got put all together because it's not quite it's almost but not quite like um longest to shortest, right? And then of course yeah. like the very first one is like the little opening prayer one is also very short. But then it goes like it's it's they're fairly significantly long and then they get shorter and shorter. And they're they're not done in historical order and they're not done um in order of transmission. Like they're they're kind of I can't remember and I wish I could because it's really fascinating how they ended up, and they're not even necessarily done by topic although they kind of are like yeah. um and nisa is like the women and so it, it talks a lot about um, women and their rights and their roles and their responsibilities and um, how men should treat them and it's all very pro woman within the context of of islam um i know that from an outside perspective it's very like anti-woman but then you read the chapter and it's not all about women it's, it's a lot about law and legislation and, and inheritance laws and <laughs> dietary laws so it's it's very confusing to read the Quran, and it's very confusing specifically to read it without any other historical <laughs> Certainly context. Don't try and read it as a Western no. book from beginning. No, to because end. the problem is you're you're not going to know what's going on. Like there'll be there'll mm. be um, an ayat here that says like this thing about this battle, and then two chapters over, there's another ayat ayat about that same battle, and there's no tie to them whatsoever. And you like, ah, it's really difficult to determine what is going on in any given chapter. So staying on the Quran, two questions. Uh, The first one uh, is, what do you think about the charge from some apologists that you have to read it in the original Arabic? And the second one, what do you think about the challenge laid down in the Quran? that nobody will be able to uh, recreate a chapter of it in such a perfect way. It's not even a chapter. It's a single line. And, is it a single line? I thought it was oh, a Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no one can bring a line like it or, or, or yeah, like... Um, it was a high claim to make. So, yeah, see, so... This is, this is claim, interesting. Let's get the claim. Sorry, sorry, I just want to interrupt now you before I you to. answer that because I've literally just been watching, and this is where my confusion may have come from. I was watching in uh, a debate with Lawrence Krauss with a Muslim earlier on today, uh, yeah. completely unrelated to this. Oh, was it? Um, oh, sort of sources, sort of. I can't say his last name. Yes, Hamza, I Hamza. No, I can't say his last name. It's I think it's, it's a Greek. It's Greek. Greek. Yeah, and I can't. Yeah. It's like TZ uh, uh, source, sort of, or I don't remember what it was. But Hamza's his first. Georges, Georges. Yeah. I think something along those lines. Anyway, he uh, and and the the Muslim guy actually said because uh, Lawrence Krauss actually said I put input something into a computer program and it's given me something beautiful. And the Muslim guy says no, the challenge is actually a chapter, not just a line. So that's where I'm getting confused because I've got that fresh in my memory. Yeah, I think I think I don't remember enough about the exact words of the the Quran to be able to say like this is exactly what it says. I thought it was a line. You, like none, you, you like, can bring right. a single line like it and maybe it says a single chapter like it but there's chapters that are like very very short and yeah. none of them are so profoundly beautiful or, or or poetic that they can't so it becomes subjective so a muslim yeah, yeah. can say oh well it's profound because there's all these different layers of meaning and, blah, 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 blah. and it's like well okay how much are you interjecting into that and you're also cherry picking which parts of the Quran might have multiple layers. Like does every single chapter or every single line in every single chapter have that many layers or is that profound? Um, it's, I think Shakespeare is far more clever and poetic and beautiful than the Quran. Um, yeah. Like by a long shot. But the, thing about the original Arabic's interesting because like I've, well, I've got a degree in linguistics, so I've, I've studied translation and stuff at, at UNE. Um, and I, like, yeah, you can argue that the original Arabic is important because you definitely do, as 
even with the best of intentions of neutrality and whatever, when you translate something from one language to another, you have to make decisions and compromises in in terms of how you do that. Um, you know, you can take a sentence in English and you put it into another language and you might have five, six, seven, eight different reasonable options, all of which are nuanced in slightly different ways. Um, but also sort of the original Arabic that it was written in is now not the Arabic that's spoken. Classic Arabic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and even like, if we look at middle English, like Shakespeare's English, you were just mentioning Shakespeare, like we can understand a lot of that, but some of the way that he speaks even if we understand the words, also has a historical context. The nuance into- is lost. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. Um, or Chaucer. Try to read Chaucer in his original uh-huh. language. You're not gonna. <laughs> like, no, absolutely not. I'll take and the I translation, think, thank you. <laughs> it's one of, those, one of those things that I mentioned in one of my videos recently in terms of like language, written language, mm-hmm. is one of the worst ways for a god to communicate with humans. <laughs> right. Because yeah. that god would therefore know that... Arabic would change and that people would speak other languages and that the message would need to be given to other people. It's like for me to read the original Arabic, yeah, I might be able to recite the entire Quran in classical Arabic, but that doesn't mean I understand it. And I think it's even it, worse. Must, must translate it into English. I must. I think it's even worse than that as well. Sorry for interrupting you, by the way. No, Sorry. no, no. I think it's even worse than that because the the way that the Arabic and the Quran is written, a lot of it was specifically formulated to keep specific meanings for the Quran. Yeah. So you'd you'd think that that being the case, it would be the easiest of all the books to translate into another language. And I've got, here, I've got three different copies. The one on the left is the one that I read, yeah. They're all very, very different translations. So there's... Go ahead. Sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say there's there's multiple layers of problems here, and you've both touched on like quite a few of them. But um, one is sometimes translating it to another language is the best way to understand it because you're you're not just translating the modern, um, you're not translating the Quran in modern Arabic to modern English. You're translating it from classical Arabic to modern English. So you're getting a lot more meaning out of it than if you were to just learn how to speak Arabic and then learn the Quran and then say, oh, it means this. Like one of the easiest examples to give is just the word yom, which means day or some indefinite period of time. So what did they mean? Do they mean in a single day or an indefinite period of time? Right. Like what was meant there within the historical context? So if you keep it in Arabic and you in your own historic, if you're, I'm sorry, you in your own cultural context say, oh, it meant one day. Um, And then somebody else, like a scholar goes through and they, they look at all the different transcripts and they do the historical studies. And they somehow managed to determine that it meant a period of time. And they put that in, say, Spanish or English or French or whatever. That translation now has better meaning than the Arabic translation. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really, really, really complicated. And I love what you said about the whole, like, if you're going to translate or if you're going to transmit words to man as a god, using any, any language on earth is immediately insufficient. Yeah. And it's immediately problematic. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially English as well, because like English has got the biggest vocabulary out of any language in the world. Um, and so like for for one word in another language in another language, there might be, yeah, three reasonable options to choose from. And like I say, everything has has nuances of meaning and stuff like that. So um yeah, I I could talk about that all day, but that's a, a separate topic too. So, so we're at about I was just going to take okay. your line. I was literally <laughs> no, just you take about it. to say... I'll, I'll cut all this out, but go ahead and take it. <laughs> we, we, we literally, we could talk about this forever in a day. Um, I mean, sorry, Richard, that me and Laura have kind of <laughs> railroaded you along. No, one. it's one of those I where love I, I, he's I have an expertise. Though. I don't have an expertise and I, I enjoy listening to you two talking about stuff that you know more about than I do, so... But I think uh, what Gil brought to the table today was even more like poignant than some of the stuff that we brought yeah, to the table I agree, because it's an outside perspective. He just you. nailed it. Yeah. We are, however, unfortunately out, out of, time. of time. We can't continue to talk yeah. about it. So what are the final thoughts on Islam? Mine really quickly are just, if you're interested in it or if it scares you, just study it. Study it from as many different perspectives as you freaking want. Study it from 
the, the Christian, it's all about terrorists perspective, study it from the Western academic perspective, study it from the, the Eastern or the Islamic academic perspective, go talk to Muslims right now. Um, and it will be just coming to the end of it. When this, um, episode comes out, um, we're, we're going through Ramadan right now. So go, um, look into some local mosques or see if you can participate in a dinner or a meal and just share conversation. Um, be freaking respectful and come in wanting to learn and to talk and not to challenge. So I am not, I am not inviting people to go to mosques and make a ruckus. But if you want to learn more about the culture and if you respect um, different perspectives, go participate in in one of their eids, one of their celebrations. Um, that's all I have. Richard, yeah, I I, I just think it's um, it is a fascinating topic because there's so much history to do with it. Uh, and we've not even got into the whole thing like you were saying about it being Laura and Abrahamic religion and the crossover and the you know the people who argue that it's the same God just viewed through a different lens and all that sort of uh, discussion and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think I abhor the discrimination towards Muslims uh, because of things that uh, people have done, which are horrendous acts of terrorism and whatever else, because uh, those people are not responsible for it. Um, and I, I would love to see a world in which people are just treated fairly uh, and that, you know, the ideas that someone holds, if it's not affecting anyone else, shouldn't, um, yeah, impact the way that you treat them in a in a negative way. Um, yeah. And to follow on from that, my final thought is that there is legitimate criticism to be had against Islam and there is nothing wrong with legitimately criticising it. Yeah. Uh, or any belief, it, for that matter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do it respectfully. Do it in a way in which you're engaging with people and educating people, not accusing people. And if any Muslims are watching this, put your barriers down, because that will foster far more healthy relationships and conversations than simply denying that things that are there in Islam aren't there. It's not healthy. It's not good for anybody doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that close out, Richard. I think that was perfect. Um, and that's all we have for today. So with that, we are Laura. Richard. And Richard. And this has been Skeptic Hangout. Until next time. Keep questioning. Interrogate your beliefs. And stay skeptical. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.